0: Freightonomics. (laughs) I'm Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freight Waves. I'm alongside Zach Strickland. Director of Freight Market Intelligence and fresh off the phone, fresh <laughs> off the phone, busy man. Also, if you know, you know the Sultan of Sonar. Zach, we have a cool little look at this graphic we got here. We got I mean, the Freight Dynamics graphic right behind us. In case you didn't us. know what uh, what show you were watching, uh, this is Freight If You're watching on
1: FreightWaves Live uh, or FreightWavesTV.com. Uh, this is Freight Dynamics, where we like to combine uh, the freight market and the overall macroeconomic environment, which is of course involves the global supply chains and everything in them Uh, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about all the time because we're talking about the global
0: situation which uh, is still uh, as chaotic as it was two years ago. (laughs) It is chaotic but before we jump into that of course thank you all for tuning in. I'm going to be looking down at my laptop from time to time. I'm not being rude. I'm going to be monitoring LinkedIn. So if you're watching, if you're streaming on LinkedIn and you're not getting a part of the full experience, it hurts my heart that you're not watching on TV.fraves.com to get the full experience. But if you're there, chat, leave a little question, comment, never get involved in the show if you happen to be watching live at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Also, Got to mention, we have this little thing coming up. Just kidding, it's a big thing. (laughs) It's going to be our first live event in two years. It's going to be in Northwest Arkansas. Get your tickets now. We have March Madness. Tickets only $12.95. This is only going to be limited to the first 100 tickets sold. So get on it. It's going to be May 9th through the 10th. And Northwest Arkansas, as I mentioned, at the Rogers Convention Center, you can register for this at live.fairies.com. Of course, you can see this event and all of our other virtual events as well, but this is one Zach that I am excited for. Well, we haven't had a live event in a few years now. Yeah, thank you, COVID. Uh,
1: and if you haven't been to one of our events yet, the, this is—I mean, in for a treat. It, it's not your standard uh, company retreat type uh, event. There's a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot more to it than just that. We try to make it as entertaining and as informative as possible. I will be there, more than likely. Will you be there? Anthony? I'll be around. No, I'll, I'll be, be there. there. I'm sure you will. I <laughs> we'll think I am I have to be there. Yeah. So a lot of uh, a lot of informational uh, exchanges going on, as well as networking availability. It's, it's probably one of the most single uh, attended events or it used to be uh, back in, you know, before the pandemic in the transportation sector. So definitely get your tickets for that now. Moving on, Anthony. Yes. You know, I was really, I was really proud of myself for today's title. You did come up with that I one. Come and up and up with it. it came to me. Uh, conflicted messages. Mm. Look at all that just soaking in the uh, double entendre uh, <laughs> there. Because uh, we're talking about global supply chains being, uh, you know, really sending us some mixed signals. Right. Uh, we're, we've got some data. You know, you can have a lot of information, and some of it's going to point you in one direction, and sometimes you're going to have information that tells you something totally different, and it's going to be measuring some, the similar item. Uh, you talked about it this morning on Freight Economics or Freight, <laughs> Freightways Now, uh, where we had some employment data that kind of suggested, you know, similar. Situation, but a little bit of differing directionality to it. And we're seeing that across the global supply chains right now. We've got, you know, in one hand, we have like tender rejections coming down. We got rates going up. Mm. They measure similar things, but you have to think it through a little bit to kind of discern that. And we're going to break that down as well as what's going on with the Ukrainian conflict over there with Russia and uh, Putin, of course. Trying to c- continue uh, this chaos that we've been living in, in in the modern society
0: that's right you say even though it's all the way over there in Eastern Europe it's making its waves yeah and and Flight you know waves
1: it, to US. one thing that has kind of come back around and I want to give one quick meme here because it's <laughs> been, it's, been, it's, been it's been hard hard to come by memes uh, lately uh, this one this one kind of hits uh, Putin to the people of Russia. In terms of money, we have no money.
0: It's is great. this from one of those, uh, is this a Pixar movie? Despicable Me. How do you not know this? Never seen it. Oh, my gosh. All but right. it's funny, though. Yes. Uh, I mean, the,
1: the economic impacts of what uh, Putin has decided to do here, especially to his country, are tremendous. I mean, with all the sanctions, we're going to break down some of the sanctions and what mm-hmm. they mean for us here, because uh, we're all connected. I mean, the, the fact is is that Russia has been part of the global community, Uh, we've kind of been in, you know, saying like, oh, you guys are cool now, (laughs) for the last uh, couple of decades, you know, Mm. 30 years really, that relationship has actually kind of been going okay. Um, You know, I wrote a chart of the week about, I was actually surprised to see the import volumes uh, from Russia to the United States, not huge, less than 1% of the total, (laughs) Uh, but... They were up quite significantly year over year last year, just last year.
0: So this is a disruptive event. <laughs> so which way are you talking? Russia importing U.S. goods or U.S. importing Russian goods? U.S. importing Russian gotcha. goods. Gotcha.
1: And, it, you know, we do have a lot of exposure to them upstream. Mm-hmm. We have commodities. That obviously, Russia does uh, supply a lot of that raw materials, uh, palladium, nickel, uh, aluminum, one of the biggest uh, exporters of aluminum yeah. in the world. Uh, Oil, of course, a big thing, but it's not just about directly to the United States. It's to the subsequent, uh, you know, other uh, markets, if you will, some other countries, China, for instance, of course, huge trading partner uh, with Russia. But then, of course, all those European countries, they thought they were buds. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Um, But yeah, this one, this, this meme to me kind of spoke real loudly because it just, indicates that this is probably not going to be a very long-standing situation, hopefully not at least, uh, yeah. in terms of
0: escalation and whatnot, well, because economically speaking, it can't sustain. It can't sustain. And I think this is, of course, one of the things we're going to get into a little bit later. But. When you look at, uh, I think the the term being positioned is Putin's war chest. I mean, he was anticipating sanctions being put Mm -hmm. in place. This wasn't a surprise to him or, you know, the Russian government there. They were anticipating this or ready for this. So they built up a war chest of billions, I think over $600 billion worth of currency and commodities. And so they were ready for this. But they did not anticipate it hitting the way it did. I mean, of course, the stock market has been stopped. I think it's not going to be starting up until at least March 5th, but it's probably going to get pushed back even further. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, The ruble has just been completely crashed. It's tanked. It's destroyed. Um, You're looking at positions that some countries have taken really in a large part throughout the world um, lines have kind of been drawn in the sand and sanctions have been put in place and really that war chest is really looking rather weak. So this wasn't a surprise to them, but I think to the extent they weren't yeah. really prepped for that. Yeah, and this great point is that they were prepared for this.
1: They knew yeah. they weren't just going to walk in there and everybody's going to be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the fact that BP... Is pulling out, um, you know, and, and things to that nature that are so extreme. I mean, we even had Switzerland.
0: Yeah. <laughs> neutrality. Someone that you
1: never hear from yeah. taking sides. Uh, yeah. So uh, that being said, let's go into news uh, and and break down some of this stuff. If you aren't watching looking at Freightways.com, uh, we are recapping uh... every day anything remotely related to the conflict over there uh... john kingston of course responsible for kind of reviewing and and writing some of the uh... the various places that we're seeing these impacts uh... and of course he is our oil market expert (laughs) to a t he's got uh... decades of experience in covering the uh... the oil commodities uh... markets and things like that at s p global so uh, he, his article here, uh, Russia-Ukraine Roundup, Another Day of Surging Oil Prices. The one big takeaway that I got from this article is that uh, the futures, uh, the, the settlement price for futures of diesel in April settled at $3.49 a gallon, an increase of 34.36, <laughs> $0.36 cents a gallon, or 10.9%. The outright increase is believed to be the highest one-day move in the history of the contract that is
0: some strong wording yeah. from our oil expert. Is it 10.9%? Yeah, 10.9% increase. Yikes, yeah, that I mean, that is a substantial move there. And I know we had John Kingston on, I think earlier in the week on Freight Waves Now, mm-hmm. and he really broke down a lot of the situations that we we're seeing there. Um, one of the big things that kind of popped in my mind is of course, you know, the positioning of oil. So we'll see mm-hmm. the effects really kind of pour out from this. but. Um, I think one of the things, that I think he mentioned Iran potentially having some looser sanctions uh, or some lifting from them to kind of fill some of the void that right. we're going to be getting. And that's, that's an interesting uh, you know, takeaway because I wasn't sure if they have a relationship with Russia and if that's going to, to kind of, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if, okay, hey, <clears throat> I know you're not seeing eye to eye with the rest of the world, but do you mind if I just kind of you know, give them a little bit of oil? I don't know if that causes a rift at all in, in that relationship. I don't know that they're super tight anymore. I know India, China, Mm -hmm.
1: and Syria, there was only a handful of countries that were supporting uh, the Russians outright. Even, uh, I I mean, China didn't necessarily give them their full-on support, but they're not necessarily sanctioning anything. They're not changing their uh, relationship status. They're just saying, hey, we don't support the war, but we're going to continue business as normal. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, Type situation. So economically speaking, they're really not a factor here uh, in terms of sanctions and stuff like that. Gotcha. But um, yeah, it is interesting to see this. They're obviously, I mean, Russia's heavily outnumbered. If it, I would argue that if it weren't for China's just presence in general, mm-hmm. they would have already been slapped back. Because <laughs> yeah. You just don't want to escalate uh, the situation beyond. And I, I believe that's probably the right move <laughs> we don't want to see world war three uh happen in our lifetime for sure so one of the takeaways too from this oil situation now not a lot of people think about oil um, directly uh and it's weird because it's a huge percentage of the overall transportation cost and obviously has a big impact on global supply chains i want to pull up this uh, graphic here to just show you How, you know, it's going to be the van contract uh, graphic that we're showing where I have the Department of Energy's uh, average price of diesel fuel, Uh, then we have the contract rate per mile for van, truckload, and we have the spot rate in yellow uh, for spot freight in truckload. You see the oil price in green, or the diesel price, I should say, in green. Uh, up 35% year-over-year, year. the spot rate, 8% year-over-year. Year. Now, that 8% number includes the average price or the you know fuel surcharges, if you will, or fuel costs. Uh, they're not always separated out in the spot market. Contracted freight typically has a fuel surcharge involved in it. So when that number increases like that, there's two takeaways here for anybody involved in trucking. <laughs> okay. One of the takeaways is cost inflation. That's the obvious one. That's straight over the top (laughs) Uh, coming right at you. Those spot rates obviously, and Mike Vincent and I were talking about this the other morning, that spot rate obviously has enough buffer in it to absorb the inflation in the diesel price. Mm. So I'm estimating diesel costs to be roughly 16 to 20% of that figure (laughs) that you see right there. Gotcha. The fact that those rates are coming down, they've been falling since the, you know, I guess January-ish, mid to late January when the Omicron variant was really uh, peaking. Um, My takeaway here is that there's been enough market buffering on the spot rate, but you can't see, it's masking that inflationary pressure on the cost side. So Mm -hmm. we can't see driver wages increasing in this number. We can't see fuel price impact in this number. Uh, But what you can see in the van contract rate here, that is a pure line haul cost. That does not include fuel, does not include any surcharges. So you can see also, not only are diesel prices increasing, which is a percentage upcharge and a cost that typically gets passed along to the customer, line haul rates are also going up. So your base transportation cost for trucking are going up, your diesel prices are going up, that spot rate number is gonna hit a floor and it's probably gonna be higher than what it was a year ago. <laughs> gotcha. and so anybody in, that, in the market, you're, you're, our floor for this rate to fall in the future is dramatically, it's growing quickly. <laughs> yeah. So don't expect a huge amount of contraction here
0: uh, in the future. That's, that's an interesting one because, uh, you know, not to expect that huge amount of contraction in, in the future because that might be one of the areas that you're going to be looking for at first. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's a great takeaway there, Zach. I, I really, I'm really i over here looking at this chart because <laughs> I'm like, you know, that is a good comparison that you have up here. We're looking at that breakout here. I might um, make a chart of the week out of it. Who knows? To dive into it a little that's bit a good. So if you haven't checked out Zach's <laughs> weekly chart of the week, as the name would kind of infer, they're amazing and has a great following there.
1: They're very statistically <laughs> driven there. Uh, definitely don't look for a lot of stories. Uh, but you can certainly, if you're into uh, the information itself, uh, we di- I dive into it a little deeper on those. So the next... News Anomic story of the day that I have picked out here. Lori Ann LaRocca. She laid it out. Just breaks it down. So yeah. anybody out there thinking, uh, you know, supply chains are getting better, we're, we're starting to see some signs of improvement, which we are. We are seeing some small incremental signs. We just talked about spot rates mm-hmm. coming down. But you saw those contract rates going up. Yeah. Another conflicted message there. Yeah, spot rates are negotiated daily. Contract rates are negotiated for longer-term cycles. Mm -hmm. So, you're, you're, like I said, those day-to-day comes a, there comes a premium when you're negotiating on the spot in the transactional environment because it's not consistent. So there's going to be a little bit more of a market cost in there. Those contracts very stable uh, compared to the spot market. So, the fact that those are moving in two different directions, not entirely unusual yeah but Lori and Larocca sits here uh saying okay we are seeing some signs of things getting better and she's mainly uh talking about the maritime shipping side of things uh but she points out that after two years of logistics hell her words uh <laughs> the world wants to believe things are getting better yet these declarations are, are just empty prophecies talk about brooding set in the table um New Project 44 uh, Intelligence quantified a whopping 23.35% drop in TU capacity year over year in January. So the the big takeaway here is that it's not necessarily because ships are being pulled off. It's because of all the congestion and delays around the ports, the COVID uh, restrictions. Um, labor shortages and
0: drayage issues and she lines all these out in this article yeah i mean breaks it down thoroughly yeah i mean um, the article that one of the areas i really loved was to ship delays and how yep. that's also increasing so if you were to see some easing with a grain of salt those ship delays are building up and you mentioned and uh, i think the carrier update one of them this morning That there's still more goods coming in you know that 30 to 45 day outlook is still ramping up and if you still see more goods coming in more flows more volumes and on top of that you're seeing more delays there's not really all that much easing or that much improving as some of the other data sets that you might be looking at or looking to would suggest
1: yeah I, i mean it's you know you don't think about it because you just think okay well think about a slow moving system here like with the containers moving you know if they're spending 13 days more on the water moving from China to North America's west coast which was the case in December and uh, January um, then average because of these delays that's time that it's not being spent move like clearing out the backlog of That's orders. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know one of your favorite numbers. yeah. Uh, and it says despite factories in China getting back up and running post-lunar New Year, the vessel delays and blank sailings have constricted capacity, which has solidified a floor in the pricing levels. And I have a chart here showing the Freytos, the FBXD, the Freytos Baltic Exchange daily uh, index here, which measures the rates I think we have that chart, FBXD. Uh, should be the uh, average rate per 40-foot container, which we're seeing a slight uptick over the last couple of days. We ac- Actually, we have the IOTI, IOTI yeah. uh, pulled up. Now, this is going to be a demand-side indicator, and that one's fine to show if we want to go ahead and show that one. Um, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the rates are going up. Demand has not stopped. Okay. Demand is going up, and, uh, and the rates or I should say demand hasn't gone anywhere, and the rates are increasing because even though they've stabilized in terms of shipping demand, Mm -hmm. it's at a consistent level, the delays in capacity are creating this additional uh, shortage that's pushing rates a little bit higher. They're up around $16,000 from China to North America's West Coast now.
0: Interesting. And and the thing I love that, of course, uh, if people didn't see the last big freight virtual event, we're now incorporating some Project 44 data into Sonar. So that was a yep. huge collaboration and a huge release. But some of some of the P44 data points that Laurianne is using in here, mm-hmm. it really speaks volumes into kind of getting into some of the underlying trends that we're seeing when you're looking at some of those ocean mm-hmm. um, activities, because that's one of the areas where people always ask me sometimes about leading indicators you yep. mentioned, of course, new orders, and then backlogs kind of talk to, hey, here's the runway that we have. But that ocean and that import data really tells you a lot of the times all you need to know in terms of things coming into the country. Yeah. Um, now, when I see on the other side of the equation, I think, hey, things can keep coming into the country all they want. That's great. That's all you know, fine. But you also need that demand to be there. And you need those consumers to keep buying. So right. at a certain point in time, if there is a lapse in consumer Activity or consumption kind of wanes a little bit. It's going to get real interesting in terms of these goods hitting the, uh, you know, the U.S. Mm -hmm. Still, kind of a lot of delays happening. Ships at ports. We're, We're seeing warehouse space at a premium that could really cause for a lot of a lot of chaos.
1: Yeah, Ann closes out her article with some pretty foreboding comments here. Yeah. Uh, how consumers react to the high levels of inflation is one of the biggest wild cars when trying to predict the outlook for the container market. There are some dark timelines ahead, including one in which China feels emboldened to copy Putin's playbook in Taiwan. Something that would hit shipping very hard. So don't pull the, that cork; your champagne will fall flat. When you can actually pour that glass, <laughs> I, I mean, just uh, I love I love her writing, so I get a little excited about it. But it's it is that is a scary ending to that article. I, yeah. I mean, the fact that we have all this uncertainty, and I think that kind of ties into what are we looking at moving forward, Anthony? You, we talk about pulling forward. Uh, all these consistent geopolitical threats that we're seeing right now uh, aren't going away. You know, COVID still, we're still digging out of COVID. Now we've got Ukraine and Russia, and it's not just directly tied to how Ukraine or Russia imports or exports goods, but also their impact to the supply chains across the globe. So what are, well, let's talk a little bit about that before we close out the show about what kind of, you know, active, you know, what's happening with the sanctions, Yeah. And what are, what are we going to see? What do we need to expect moving forward?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great one. also, I have to give a shout out to Charles A., who had a like, great comment and, and some feedback here on uh, LinkedIn, saying, couldn't Russians uh, Russia's economy sustain if Putin decides to only take ruble for Russia's oil or gold on its, or a specific coin, especially if he has more business dealings with China? China has to support Russia because if they don't, they are more susceptible to sanctions from the U.S. in the future. So I think Charles brings up a great point. And and the thing is, when we're looking at China, we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, they would have to be able to essentially replace all of Europe and all of U.S. Now that U.S. was sending a lot of activity there, but Mm -hmm. China alone wouldn't be able to just kind of keep Russia's economy afloat. Um, and, and Putin's war chest, he did have quite a bit of gold, so that is there, but in order to prop up the ruble, China would have to really do a ton <laughs> of investing in order to kind of even bring right. that kind of back up. Would, so They would
1: subsequently damage their own they would. <laughs> economic situation, which I, China does not look like the type of friend that's willing no. to uh, to do that, and they've, they've made it pretty clear. It's like, we're cool with you just existing, but we're right. not going to you know, support you overtly.
0: And on top of that, it seems as though I think some of China's practices right now, knowing that there's not that many buyers for those Russian goods or not Mm -hmm. that many sellers, they might be a little bit more tougher negotiators now that they're kind of one of the few players left in the game for Russia. So can expect to potentially see some very creative negotiation from China in order to kind of get the most out of Russia. And they're kind of vulnerable-ish moment that they've put themselves into. Um, so I think that one's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch. I think, mentioned here closely, coins. I think cryptocurrency yeah. could be a potential play for them as well, but still not going to be enough to prop Talk up the entire Talk about volatility. Economy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think a country like Russia could... Well, they got nothing to lose if they continue.
1: Uh, so they might as well jump into Bitcoin. If, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> If they can
0: afford it, that is. Because yeah. ain't nobody taking a ruble. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's another big one is... Uh, uh, almost kind of getting into somewhat of like a sunk cost fallacy of, you know, familiar with that economic, uh, you know, term it down of like, yes, yeah, it's, it's essentially when you spend so much or you invest so much time or resources into a thing, and because you have done that for so much or so long. You think, hey, I might as well keep going because I've gone this far. Like me and my Facebook stock, for example. (laughs) But it's like that. Hey, you can stop here. And so, because we're seeing so much effort and so much force being put in, you have to see, hey, where are the efforts that are going to be doubled down on? Are we going to see more? You know, hey, we're going to really see these two sovereign nations from Ukraine as uh, as a complete, you know, different countries and that's going to be our double down effort or, you know, where's going to be the double down effort that we're going to see from Russia? Because as of now, it seems like, hey, the rest of the world is kind of stepping in here, really showing their cards and, and getting involved. So there has to be, I think, a definite double down summer for Russia because now you, you just kind of run back with your tail between your legs potentially. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, and that, that doesn't manner. seem to be Putin's way right now. Yeah, I think
1: the economic sanctions are definitely. I think it just goes to show you this isn't 1929 anymore. Yeah. You can't, you can't just go and invade a country and expect your economy to survive. We're all connected on this mm-hmm. globe, whether we like it or not. Uh, it doesn't matter how
0: much isolation you have. It doesn't, and you also have to see what the oligarch pressure is going to be put on yep. Putin. if. Yeah, he's losing it. money for a lot of his supporters, yeah, so yeah. we'll see. I, I just, it's
1: hard for me to kind of visualize this lasting much longer. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for uh, tuning in, and of course, Anthony... Tell the people what they want to hear. Drink
0: more water, (laughs) of course. And tune in for more Freight Waves content coming up after this. We'll be live.